Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good morning, City Walk Church. How are we doing? Come on. All right. Well, uh, I'm glad that everybody kind of came out in the midst of the wind. I know today, if you were trying to have a good hair day, you probably just gave into that pretty quickly. Uh, we were out there setting up this morning and putting up our tent out there like normal and doing all that stuff, and all of a sudden our tent started to uh, take off, and so we didn't want to be like the guy on up, so we went ahead and took that down. So it made, made setup a little bit different this morning, but I'm glad that you're here. Uh, before we dive into a series that I am really, really excited about, a series that I think is going to be a catalyst for our entire gathering really moving forward Uh, I wanted to just give you a quick update about next weekend. So next weekend uh, in our town, we have uh, the privilege of having the Sikh parade and a a really big celebration for a lot of our neighbors and friends in our town uh, where the Sikhs have a a lot going on next weekend. You probably have over the years maybe gotten involved and and maybe even went to the parade, did different stuff like that. Well, Come to find out, our parking lot is actually where they uh, all park on Sunday, and they go from here to where the parade is. And so the principal here, he gave me a call this week, and he said, hey, you guys are welcome. I mean, you're renting the building. You're welcome to be here, but it's going to be pretty tight with parking and stuff. And so we said, all right, well, what would uh, plan B be? And uh, we said, well, you know what we could probably do? We could probably do a Saturday night service. Uh, We could do a Saturday night service and, uh, you know, still do everything that we would normally do and not miss a weekend, but allow our friends uh, in town that need to use the parking lot on Sunday uh, to have the parking lot. And so that's exactly what we're going to do. And I I like Rob, uh, he put out an email to our guest experience team and he said, hey, this is our plan B, but this has been God's plan A the whole time. And so we're going to go with God's plan A and next Saturday night, At 5 o'clock, you can pretend it's 10.30 on Sunday morning, and we're going to have our services uh, just this weekend only, uh, 5 o'clock on Saturday. And at the end of our service, since it is Saturday night and we do love to eat around here, uh, we're going to end the night with a bunch of pizza on our way out. And so uh, this would be an awesome opportunity to invite somebody, Uh, somebody that maybe hasn't been able to come on a Sunday morning, but you say, you know what? You can't use that as an excuse anymore because we're actually having church on Saturday night. And so come join us. If you hate it, at least you get some free pizza out of it. And and let's have a really good night. We'll put it out on social media a bunch to remind you. uh, But wanted to just kind of let you in on that. Uh, Next weekend, Saturday night, 5 o'clock, we'll have church. And so look forward to to seeing you guys then. Well, you guys know uh, this idea of a hashtag, which is kind of what we're going to talk about when, when social media kind of st- started to get popular, if you remember back, and if you're, I'm 42, almost 43 years old, 
Well, when there was, I remember the first thing I did on social media, there was a kind of blog slash thing called Zanga which was, again, really old. I, they barely had electricity back then when, when Zanga was out. But I remember starting with this thing called Zanga, and then, then there was MySpace, and my mom, didn't, wouldn't, she wasn't a like, big fan of a lot of that. And, and so I remember I never really got into the MySpace thing. But then, uh, then you started to hear about this thing called Facebook, and at first, Facebook, you could only use Facebook if you were on a college campus and connected to a school. Uh, and then they opened it up, and, and MySpace is no longer anything, and nobody cares about MySpace anymore. And then, then came Facebook, and then Instagram, and Snapchat, and that, I mean, it just keeps going on Twitter, all these different things. But in the midst of all this social media, we started coming up with these hashtags. And we started using these hashtags to have fun, and for some of them, some of the hashtags we use, we we. You know, just use them because they're kind of fun and, and we kind of laugh or we want to really say something in our post, but we don't say it. We just put it in a hashtag at the end. And so some of them are fun. And if you're an old person like me, you probably have had to Google like, okay, I see all these teenagers using this hashtag. I don't know what it means, so I'm going to Google it so I don't look like an idiot. Uh, and, and so maybe you've had to do that. So we use some of these hashtags. So some of them that maybe you've used is you may be used to one first world problems. When you have been uh, upset because something that's really not a big deal is a big deal because you don't have access to it and you're like, you know what, this is not that big of a deal in any other country in the world, but here in America it's a big deal. Uh, so maybe you've used that one. Maybe you've used the the TBT, and you put an old picture up of, of, man, when you were in elementary school or when you first started dating your, your spouse, and, and you put the Throwback Thursday hashtag up to, to put one of those pictures up. Uh, maybe you have put, it, and if you did, we probably laughed at you, Flex Friday, uh, where you put a picture of yourself up kind of flexing because you were impressed with your muscles, and, and, and maybe you put that up. Uh, and so, and, and you, there's all these different ones, and maybe you've used other ones, maybe you've made up some ones that we all use now. But then there's also hashtags that we use when there's a cause, when there's something that has kind of grabbed our society's attention, and we, we use a hashtag to maybe show our support, our unity for something. And so, th there's hashtags like Me Too is a hashtag, Black Lives Matter is a hashtag. Uh, we were in Las Vegas this past week for a conference, and two years ago when there was a shooting in Las Vegas, the mass shooting, there was a hashtag, pray for Las Vegas. And we use these hashtags to really show support or unity, and sometimes, if we're honest, we find ourselves like, you know what, I, I feel like I should do something about this cause, so I'll put a hashtag, pray for Las Vegas, or you know, the hashtag that shows that I'm behind it, and I kind of kind of lets my conscience off, like, okay, I put the hashtag out there, I'm behind this thing. But, but you, you and I both know this, that, you know what, just by me using a hashtag to show my support, kind of let my conscience off the hook, at the end of the day, a hashtag really isn't making that much of a difference. By me putting a hashtag out there to show support, again, it may be like, okay, I'm behind this thing, or I'm for this, or I'm praying for this, but it's really not helping the issue. And so the question as we, we dive into this series is, what if we could do more than just post a hashtag? 
What if we could get to the problem before the hashtag is even created? I wrote this in my notes. What if God's plan was for his church to stop talking about the darkness and step into it and be light? What if it was more than just, hey, let's put a hashtag out there and and maybe a post out there to show my support. What if we as God's church actually began to step into the darkest places and we're bringing light to those places? What if the church put as much focus on being responsible for solving problems as they do being responsive when the problems occur? What what if we, as God's church, did something? And and if you think about even who God is, whether you're somebody that's new to faith, maybe you're investigating faith, maybe you've delved into the scriptures a little bit. If you've delved into the scriptures at all, you know that, that the God of the scriptures was not a God that just talked about a lot of stuff. He was a God that did stuff. He acted upon stuff. Stuff happened. And what if that's what he wanted his followers to be? See, I believe God wants us to be a gathering that, yes, talks about things, but it's a gathering that says, you know what? There's an issue. Why not us? Why not us step into that and make a difference in that situation? Why not that there's something going on at my school? Why not me be the one to step in and actually make a difference? Why why is it that I'm just going to kind of stand back and hope somebody else steps in? Why not me? And and there's a a guy in the Bible who I, I think he would not like hashtags very well. And he was a guy that uh, Jesus knew really well because he was actually Jesus' half-brother. There's a guy in the Bible, his name is James, who's Jesus' half-brother, who was one of these guys that as you read James's letter, he was a guy that wasn't really big on just talking about stuff. He was a guy that seemed to like to kind of put feet to the talk. Like he was a guy that if you read his letter, he gives a lot of real practical insights on stuff that we can do as followers of Jesus to actually make a difference. And what we're going to do just to introduce this series is we're going to look at a little portion of scripture that James wrote. And if you've ever read any of James's writings, you know that he, he talks about things like Dealing with trials, like how do you really deal with trials? Not just a lot of philosophy on how to deal, but like what do you actually do with it? He he talks about how to use your words correctly and and the power of the tongue and and how the tongue is so powerful and how it needs to be used in in the right way. He talks about that. Uh, He talks about in the passage of scripture right before the one we're going to look at, he talks about favoritism. And how the people he was writing to, they, they would treat rich people one way, but then the poor guy would come around and they would treat him a different way. And so James, he, he, he just talked, like went right after the problem. And so who James is writing to, if you have your scriptures or you'll see it up on the, the screen here in a second, he's writing to a Jewish group of people. And he's writing to a Jewish group of people that are scattered all over the world. They're not in Jerusalem. They're actually scattered all over the world. And if you're a Jewish person that's a follower of Jesus, 
and you're scattered around the world, you have two things against you. The people that you're living near, the Gentiles, they're not huge fans of you. Because you're not in Jerusalem, you're not where all the Jewish people are, you're, you're actually in a, in a kind of foreign area, and so the, the Gentiles that you're living around, they're not huge fans. But then also, if you're a Jewish person that's a follower of Jesus, some of your ancestors and some of the, the Jewish people you grew up with, they're not huge fans of you either. And so, man, these people are, are kind of going through it. And so James writes to these people, and he gives them some really practical insights on how to follow Jesus and how to do it in real life. And one of the issues that he hits on right after he talks about showing favoritism is he talks about what faith really looks like lived out. See, there was a group of people that, that he was writing to that thought, hey, if I just fill my head with a lot of theology and my life doesn't look any different, but I just know a lot about God, then I'm good. And James was like, hey, this whole idea of just being really smart and knowing all the Bible answers, that will actually get you sent to hell if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so, man, he delves into this thing, and if you have your scriptures, look with me at James chapter 2 as we think about what does it look like to not just talk about issues, but actually to walk them out and make a difference. James chapter 2, verse 14, it says this. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So, so John's really good at asking rhetorical questions. James is. He, he says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says... So James isn't saying this, but someone is claiming to have faith. They're claiming to, to be a follower of Jesus, but they don't. their life looks no different than when they weren't following Jesus. And so James is asking, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have any works. There's nothing in his life that shows his faith. And James asks another question. Can that type of faith save you? Like, can a type of faith where you just know a lot about God, but it makes no difference in your life, is that the type of faith that actually saves someone? One commentator, a guy named Warren Wiersbe, said it this way. He said, any declaration of faith that does not result in a changed life and good works is a false declaration. See, James, he was dealing with people that, man, they talked a really good talk. And they, man, they, they knew a lot about the scriptures but yet, it was only that. It was just a lot of knowledge, but it had not actually gone into their heart and life, and it wasn't making any difference. And so James is saying, did you ever really begin to follow Jesus? Was this, or is this just an intellectual game for you? And, and he, he continues on. He says this. And what he does is he makes a comparison. He compares somebody that says they have faith but doesn't do any show it in their life to somebody who says they're compassionate, but doesn't show compassion. He says this, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, so if you come up against somebody, they're, they're, it's a cold day outside, they don't have the clothes they need, they're obviously extremely cold, 
and they're also hungry. They're starving. You, you come up against this person. You come near this person. You see this person. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So he's saying, so this, this guy that you or gal that you kind of come next to, man, they're freezing. They, they don't have any food. And you basically walk up to him and say, hey, man, hope you have a great day. Stay warm and hope your, hope your stomach fills up. God bless. And you walk away. He's saying, do you really have compassion if that's how you act? And then he's comparing it. So if you say you have faith, but you don't live like you have faith, did you really ever have faith? And he's making this comparison. Did you really have compassion if you walked by that person and basically gave them a, a high five and told them to have a good day on the way to get your food with your jacket and fleece on? Do, are you really a compassionate person if that's, that's the way you do things, if that's kind of how you act around needs? Or are you pretending that you're a compassionate person? Because faith, if it's true faith, it works. Works doesn't gain us faith. Work doesn't get us any better access to God. It doesn't gain any of God's favor. But when we are a person of faith that has made a decision to follow Jesus, we act like it. It changes us on the inside and our actions line up with what we say is on the inside. Just like I said, uh, this, this earlier in the week, we, Lori and I, we went to Las Vegas and we were going there, there's a church there called Hope Church that has walked with us as church planners and kind of supported us. And, and once a year they get all the church planners that they're connected to together. And so they, they fly us out and they, we're at a conference. And so, man, in order to get to the conference on time, we had to take a pretty early flight. Thank you, Connor, for taking us to the airport early in the morning. Uh, and, and so we had to get up, you know, four-ish in the morning. So I don't know about you, but that's not natural for me. My, my body clock doesn't naturally like, hey, it's four o'clock, I'm ready to go. And so, you know what I had to do, just like you have to do most of the time if you have to get up that early, is you look at your phone and there's like four alarms, like 10 minutes apart. So if I sleep through the first one, I'm going to catch the second one. If I sleep through the second one, hopefully the third time's a charm and I'll get up with that one. And, and so, you know what, you, you do that. And, and here's, here's what I, why I tell you that. You know what? I can know that I need to get up early. I, I can believe in my head and it's my, you know, I have knowledge that, hey, the plane leaves here. It takes this long to get to the airport. I really need to be up at this point because my ride. And I can know all of that. But if I don't believe it and, and if I, my actions don't show that I believe it, then I'm just going to be in bed about 7 o'clock and my plane's going to be on its way to Las Vegas and I'm going to miss the plane. And me setting those alarms doesn't give me faith that I need to get up. It just shows that I have that faith. Like, because I know this, I'm setting some alarms. Because I have a relationship with Jesus that was a relationship that I gained by faith and grace and not by works because of that, 
my actions show it. And that's where James is, man. He's, he's struggling with these, these people because, man, they, they seem to, some of them have a lot about, they know a lot, man. They, they would win the Bible Drill Award and the Vacation Bible School Trophy. They'd get all those things. But it had never went from their head into their life. And so he goes on in verse 18 and he says this. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And then he says this, you believe that God is one, you do well. So he's talking to Jewish people. And a Jewish person grew up with a creed that they memorized, they said, they, it was something they could say in their sleep. And it was, he was re- referencing it when he was talking about, hey, you, you say that God is one. Well, well these people would, would have remembered, and it's in Deuteronomy 6, 4, uh, something that they would say over and over and memorize even as a little kid. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, it was called the Shema, and it was, it's this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And so this is something that these people would have known about since they were little kids. And here's what James is saying. I think he's being a little sarcastic here. He's like, hey, you believe God's one? Golf clap for you. Good for you. You remember something that you've been taught since you were a baby. You, you, yeah, you remember something that you could say in your sleep. This creed that you had from the very beginning. Good for you. And then he goes on and he says, hey, you believe that God is one? Good for you. You do well. Even the demons believe in shudder. Good for you. You believe things in your head. The demons even believe the things that you believe. They would actually get a better grade than you in theology class. They know the Bible. They have a lot of knowledge, just like you do, but just like you, it hasn't done anything in their life. And so he says, man, good for you. You you believe this? Yeah, a lot of people believe this. Even the demons believe this, but it obviously hasn't changed anything for them. And then he, he goes on and he kind of presses in and he gives them two like real life examples. Like, hey, let me like make this as clear as possible with two people that you have grown up hearing about all your life and how this kind of played out in their life. He says this, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Like, do you need me to break out the flannel graph and get some characters on here that you grew up with and walk you through what this really looks like, and he says, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do it. He says this, was not Abraham, and for them, Abraham was the goat. He was like the greatest of all time. He was like the Tom Brady of the Jewish people. He was, he was the man to them. So when you say Abraham, it's like, yes, tell me about Abraham. He's the guy. And he says, all right, let me tell you about Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? And you say, That language, justified by works, does that mean he was saved by his works? Well, the word justified, the way James uses the word justified is different than how Paul uses the word justified. And how James uses the word justified, he uses the word justified like you would use the the word vindicate. So he's basically saying that Abraham was vindicated 
by his works. He, he showed what was happening on the inside by how he acted. He says, when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified or vindicated by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So he says, hey, remember Abraham? Look back in your Bible, to, and they didn't have it in like this form that we do, but hey, look back at Genesis. And if you look all the way back at the beginning, Genesis 15, it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That was Genesis 15. Then if you were to turn the pages forward a little bit, all the way to Genesis 22, which was several years later, that's when Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. And so what, what James is saying is, hey, the decision that Abraham made back in Genesis 15 to believe God and become righteous because of his faith was vindicated and shown in Genesis 22 when this guy was willing to walk up a mountain with his son and sacrifice his son because of what God had done in his heart. Like, yes, he wins the trophy for like obeying God. He's willing to kill his own kid. Because of what was going on in his life, because of his faith, it showed in his willingness to do what would almost be impossible. And then he says, there's this other, this other girl, her name was Rahab. And Rahab, she was a prostitute. She was a prostitute in a city that the Israelites were going to be given by God, the city of Jericho. And God said, hey, I'm going to give you this city. But before I give you this city, I want you to send some spies into this city to kind of spy this place out. And so these two spies are sent into the city that God has promised to these people. And, and when they get to the city, they meet this lady Rahab. And Rahab, she's heard about Israel's God. She's, she knows because she's heard about Israel's God. And, and something had to happen in her heart and life that, that she believed in Israel's God. And because of that, she was willing to hide the spies. And then she was also willing to help the spies escape, knowing the spies were going to go back to their army and come and take her country. But because of what had happened in Rahab's heart, it showed in what happened with her actions. And James, as he's kind of sharing this with these people, he's saying, you know what? This whole idea of this faith that you just know about that hasn't ever captured your heart, it's not really faith. It might be a version that you think, but it's not the faith of Abraham. It's not the faith of Rahab. See, I wrote this in my notes. An intellectual faith will not save you or change you. 
You might know more than anybody else in the room, but if it's only intellectual, then you know what? You will be able to walk by the person that has no clothes and that's cold and needs food, and you'll be able to walk by and, eh, because it's just intellectual. It's not real. It hasn't changed your life. See, when we truly understand the depths of our sin. Like when, when we really understand that, you know what? On my own, my sin has separated me from God and has doomed me to an eternity without God. And, and I've done all of that. Like when I understand that. And then when I understand and begin to grasp that, that, the, that Jesus left heaven and he came to earth, he lived a sinless life, and while he was on earth after 33 years, he died, shed his blood, and then went to a grave and rose from the grave. When I begin to understand that because of my sin, Jesus did that. And then when I make a decision to come to Jesus Christ as my only way and transfer my trust from myself to him, when that really happens, the Bible says this, that on the inside I become a new creation. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. And so the, this type of faith, when we really understand it, if you know Jesus and if you're a follower of him, your life will begin to look more like him. You won't be able to help it. It doesn't mean it'll happen tomorrow. And it doesn't mean it will, like, you'll never mess up. But there should be something inside of you that's made you new that will now help you move towards becoming more like Jesus and, and living your life according to his word. Again, not perfectly. It's called sanctification. And, and that's what, what James was saying. It's like, man, if this has captured your heart, it will show in your lifestyle it will show in your works it will show for how you care for people and if you don't kind of like what James has said then you can look at what his brother Jesus said and this is how his brother Jesus said it he said it this way by this all people will know that you are my disciples or you are my followers if you have love for one another by this all men will know that you are my followers if you can make a hundred in theology class. By this will all men know that you are my followers by giving as much money as you possibly can to the church. No. How are you going to know if, if you're somebody, somebody's truly a follower of Jesus? Well, one of the best indicators of what's happening in our, in our heart is how we treat other people. And that's what Jesus was saying. He was, Jesus was dealing with a bunch of religious people that said they believed a lot of things but treated even their parents terribly. And so as James and Jesus are saying the exact same thing, that, man, when you love and when you have faith, that's real faith, it changes you, and you begin to show it. And one of the biggest ways is how you love. Which, which brings us to two questions. And, and this, is, this is something that we, we really have to think about because maybe you grew up in a situation where, man, everybody in the room knew all about God. 
And, and you may have walked away from church because of that. Because, man, everybody in the room knew a lot about God, but they treated people terribly. And you just never could put two and two together because as you delved into the scriptures and you, you looked at Jesus, you saw Jesus who never, ever, ever compromised truth, but he was always gracious. He was always sitting down with people he, didn't dis- he disagreed with. He was sitting down with people that he wanted to see their life change because the sin in their life was hurting them. He never told them, he never said, hey, your sin's okay, keep doing it. He never said that. But he always loved those people so much that they seemed to always want to be on the front row when he was talking. Like the people, everybody else was like, ooh, not that group, or ooh, not those people. Jesus was like, hey, I actually got some front row seats for you guys, and they wanted to be in the front row. Because this Jesus guy was... Taught truth that they had never heard, but he showed so much grace that it captured them. And so the the two questions that this, this idea of faith that actually plays itself out in how we love and how we act, the two questions that we need to ask ourselves is this. What does love demand? If this whole thing comes down to, hey, what I believe in my heart should show and how I love people, what does love demand? What does love demand with your annoying neighbor? What does love demand with your ex? What does love demand with the homeless guy behind Burger King? What does love demand with the millions who are in modern day slavery? What does love demand with the thousands of children in our state that are in foster care? What does love demand when we're, we're sitting down at, at, at a family gathering with a, our gay relative that we haven't treated well in the past? What does love demand? How would Jesus step into that? What does love demand when we disagree with somebody politically And we maybe don't believe anything they believe, but what does love demand in that situation? That's the first question. The second question is this. If not you, then who? If not us, then who? If if somebody else is somebody else gonna do it? Is somebody else gonna step into it? Is somebody else gonna love your neighbor? Is somebody else gonna reach that person that you've kind of straight-armed? Is somebody else going to step in and and help with the foster care system? Is it somebody else's problem? Am I good with just hashtagging it and feeling good about myself? Or does God want us to ask ourselves, how can we redeem what needs to be redeemed? Maybe it's more than a hashtag. Maybe there's something else that we can do. Dude, I don't want to be the person that sits down with my grandkids and when they ask me, hey, you actually knew about that and didn't do anything? Like you knew that was a problem, that was a big deal in your society, and you just talked about it? Grandpa, why didn't you do anything? Why didn't you step in? Why didn't you give towards that? Why didn't you help? Why didn't you speak into that? I don't want to be that guy. I want to be a person like I know you do that, you know what, can't, you can't fix everything and you can't be in every issue, but I want to stay sensitive to God and when there's an issue, I want to say, God, what do you want me to do? I just want to do what you want me to do. See, 
I wrote this in my notes, and this is just such an important thought. We must begin living the story today that we want to tell tomorrow. We have to begin today to, hey, if I want to be able to tell the story tomorrow of how God did things that were impossible and how we stepped into ugliness and God did great things, then we actually have to step into ugliness so that God will do great things. Imagine if just our gathering, if just our gathering took to heart this idea of, hey, when I really believe in Jesus, it changes me on the inside, and my actions should speak to that. And if I really believe in Jesus, it means that, hey, I I can't fix everything, but I am available for God to use me as his ambassador to be a part of seeing what needs to be redeemed, redeemed in my society. And ultimately, it won't ultimately be redeemed until the king comes back. But we can be a part of it. And we don't do it to gain power. We do it to express love. We don't do it to gain a position or power or money. And we're not waiting for a political figure or a political party to fix it. We're the church of Jesus Christ. And we are the ones that are supposed to step into the ugliness and be used by God. To bring light. Albert Einstein said it this way. He said, the world is a dangerous place, not because of those who do evil, but because of those who look on and do nothing. And we, we refuse to be that type of gathering. And so well, here's, here's what we're going to do over this next four weeks. Over the next four weeks, we're going to lay out four, we're just calling them more than a hashtag goals. And we're going to lay out four goals that over the the next four weeks, if we reach them as a gathering, we will affect the ends of the earth, but we will also impact our neighbor. And so we're going to lay one of those out each week, and it's it's one of those things that this has to be an all-skate. Like, remember when you were in middle school and you used to go to the skating rink, and there there were certain skates that were like, oh, for the couples. And so if you were in middle school, that was awkward, so you, there was like four people, and they were, you were always like, oh, wow, man, he, he was like the one 14-year-old that could grow a mustache, and, and he, he was out there skating with his girl, everybody else, but then, then the DJ would be, all right, it's an all-skate now, and everybody else is back on. Well, these are all skates. Everybody's got to be involved, and the first goal that we're going to talk to you about today is actually, we're going to show you a quick video, and then I'm going to lay it out for you. The kids are playing, are laughing, joyful. It's like a whole world to them. Because for the first time, they have received this precious gift. Operation Christmas Child gives our church an opportunity to touch the world. It's a great adventure to evangelize. You've got an army of volunteers that pack the boxes that are helping OCC to take the gospel literally to millions of children. This is the good Samaritan work that the Lord is looking for people to do. Getting people locally to think globally. What I love about OCC is that they are intentional about pouring into the lives of kids. They receive a box and also an invitation to come back and learn more about Christ. 
We just don't want to just hand out a box and stop there. We want them to grow in their faith. It's a great tool, an effective tool to reach communities with the gospel of Jesus. It's exciting to get people to heaven, but it's also exciting to get heaven to people. If you've never heard of Operation Christmas Child, it's something that a group named Samaritan's Purse does every, every single year. And what they do is they get churches involved in packing these little shoe boxes, uh, and they, you pack them with, with stuff that you would want to give uh, a kid for Christmas. And what they do is then they take those boxes and they literally deliver them to villages and cities all over the known world. And in those boxes, they put literature about Jesus in the language of the kids that are going to get it. And they deliver those to those kids. And those kids, they also try to, like as the video said, they try to give that, that gift to the kid, but then also have a, a system and some people on the ground to help follow up. And they have seen hundreds of thousands of children come to faith in Christ because somebody that will never meet that child packed a box, prayed over that box, and that box was, a, was used to bring a child to Jesus Christ. And so as, as a gathering, our, our first goal that, that we have set for ourselves is we want to do 50 boxes. Uh, we want to do 50 boxes uh, as a gathering, and we have about three, four weeks to do that. What we want to do is we want to do 50 boxes, and then on November 17th, we'll bring all the boxes here, and we will take some time to pray over them, and then we will uh, then... A few of us will deliver them to the drop-off area closest to us, and then those boxes will literally go out around the world uh, and get to children uh, around Christmas time, and they will be used to just bring joy to that child, but also give Jesus to that child. And so I want to encourage you to really think about, hey, can we do a box? Can we do a box? Maybe we can do two as a family. Maybe we can just rock 50. I mean, 50 is really not a big goal. And I honestly think that we probably could roll past 50 pretty quick, but let's do 50 boxes and imagine what Jesus could do when 50 children somewhere in the world get a box from somebody in our gathering and inside of it is not only toys that they love and that bring joy to them, but is also the gospel. And we trust the gospel to change lives. And so today on your way out, we have an... Uh, uh, more than a hashtag table set up, and it's got boxes on the table. It has some little brochures. You'll, you'll need to pick up a brochure. It kind of tells you how to pack the box, uh, and then you can pick up a box. If you don't want to use one of those boxes, uh, you can buy your own little shoe box or like a plastic box about a shoe box size and pack it, and then we'll all bring them back on November 17th, that Sunday, and we will pray over them and, and get those out so that they get to kids uh, within the next few weeks. And so that's what we're going to do for, as our first goal. Uh, we'll introduce another goal next Saturday night when we have service, but I want to encourage everybody to be involved because every single one of these goals they won't benefit this church, but they will benefit the kingdom, and that's what we want to be about. We want to be about doing more than just putting a hashtag out and saying we're good. We want to be active. And so as a gathering, we're going to do that. But, but here's what I want to encourage you to do. 
Because maybe God wants to speak to you individually. Yeah, we're going to do some things as a gathering over this month. We're going to encourage everybody to be involved. But maybe God wants to speak to you about doing something specific to you. And so here's, as we close, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Would you just, over the next few weeks, would you just commit to listen and respond as God speaks to you? Would you just, hey, God, I, I'm just going to listen. I'm going to quiet things down a little bit, and I just want to listen. Is there somewhere you want me to step in? Is there some place you want me to get involved? Is there someone that I'm not praying for that you really want me to be fervent in prayer for that person? L Lord, show me. And then, and then do what God tells you to do. And a tool we're going to give you this week, uh, and you can pick them up on the back table, is we've got a little devotional for everybody. You don't have to take it, but we've got a little devotional uh, that's going to walk us through this month. There's 20 days, and so basically Monday through Friday, you can kind of do the devotional and then use the weekends to review it. Uh, but it's going to walk us through some portions of Scripture and really help us not just hear from God on Sunday mornings, but hear from God throughout the week as we seek to be people that obey God and not just talk. And so that's, these are on the back table. Um, we'll refer to them a little bit throughout the month. And so that's where we're at. I hope that you're excited. Uh, I hope that you are a person that if you're the type of person that's very intellectual, that you would just evaluate even your relationship with God and say, hey, has this thing ever moved from a lot of head knowledge to actually changing my heart and affecting my life? Because that's what true faith looks like. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for James. And James is just very practical way of encouraging us to not just be a hearer of your word, but a doer. Lord, I pray as we seek to, as a gathering over this next month, as we seek to really listen to you, we seek to to listen to you and, and really open up our hearts and minds to just know what you're calling us to do in this next season. God, I pray that we would listen and that we would obey. And Lord, as we lay out these four goals over the next four weeks, I pray, God, that you would work in each of us and that you would give us clarity on how you want us and our families to be involved. And God, our desire is that you would take these goals that we set and these things that we do, and Lord, that you would do much bigger than what we bring to the table, that you would use them in a way to transform eternity. And Lord, we know that you can do that, and we're asking you to. In Jesus' name, amen.